Genesis chapter 6. I'd like to talk to you today about hope for the future. This is, uh, thank you. This is Father's Day, and uh, I notice some visitors here in our service today. You've come to have some fellowship with your family. Everybody needs hope for the future. You know, we live in a in a world that, uh, whenever you listen to the news and when you see what's going on, you think, well, well, there's really no hope. Well, you know, I'm going to take you back this morning to a world uh, that was uh, much more severe and much more evil than our world today in this passage of Scripture. Now, it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth that daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, I suggest you underline that because that's very significant. You and I look at the news today and we say, Listen, is God really attentive to this? When is God going to judge the world for its wickedness? Well, we don't know when, but we know it is for sure. It's coming. And this, verse, this part of this verse right here says, listen, God's patience will eventually wear out, and God's judgment will eventually come. My spirit will not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. Most Bible scholars believe that uh, this is a period of probation, God looked down on the world. He saw the debauchery of the world and said, listen, you've got 120 years to get your act together. And if you don't get your act together, uh, you're going to pay the consequences. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. There, these were the mighty men of, of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, imagination, purpose of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. I don't know about you, but one of the first times I ever read that verse, I thought, wow, that sounds bad. And you know, whenever you think about the flood, uh, the worldwide flood, God's anger and judgment coming against evilness, wickedness, uh, this is like the key heartbeat of that right here. Everything they thought about was bad. They got up in the morning and that was on their mind. I'm going to do some bad things. Uh, I'm going to learn wickedness. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. I am sorry that I've made them and here's the diamond in the middle of the darkness. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The word grace there means favor. God looked on him favorably. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, a righteous man. He was perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. 
So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But I will make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch, with tar, asphalt. Get the bottom of this ark uh, covered with tar so it doesn't leak. And this is how you should make it. The length of the ark should be 100 cubits, 450 foot long. Most of us in our town are pretty avid football players, aren't we? Uh, a football field is uh, 360 foot long, uh, including the end zones. Noah's Ark was 100 foot longer than a football field. Quite a substantial boat. Uh, and you shall make a window for the Ark, and you shall finish it uh, to a cubit from above and set the door in the ark on its side and you shall make of it a lower second and third deck it's going to be a three-story boat you know on Father's Day uh, we always kind of kind of flip through the Bible and say okay which one of these persons in the Bible can we extract we can emulate we can learn some lessons from their life and pass them on to fathers who live in the time period in which we live well, I know all of us agree today, this is, we certainly agree on this, that our greatest example is the Lord, right? To follow him. When I first came to Christ, my mother said to me, Johnny, uh, the thing I want you to forever remember is man will always let you down. Always keep your eyes on Christ. And so that, she repeated that uh, a number of times, and it really, really has helped me through the years, and she was really right. There's just no way that we can live up to each other's expectations. There's just no way for me to not disappoint you sometimes and you not disappoint me. But you know, whenever we look to Christ, we're never disappointed, are we? We're to follow his footsteps. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter said, Because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. This is why we love the gospel so much. We see Christ walking through in his earthly ministry and Peter says, listen, put your steps right there in the steps of Christ. Wherever he walks, you follow him there. Now, we know that. I was curious, and so I went on my Bible program, and I love those things. I wanted to find out how many times Jesus said in the book of Matthew, follow me. Uh, he said it at least five times. Follow me, leave the dead, bury the dead. Follow me, Matthew. Matthew rose from the Receipt of customs and follow the Lord. I lift up your cross and follow me. Jesus kept saying, follow me. But you know, we are also exhorted in the Bible to follow those who have proven themselves to be people of faith. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who have the rule over you and have spoken the word of God to you whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Follow the faithful. And so what we do in this life is we pick out somebody and we say, hey, listen, those people I think are really faithful. I think I'll follow them. And, of course, we only follow them to the degree, right, that they follow the Lord. And sometimes we have to stop following them because 
every now and then they stop following the Lord. What that verse really means is uh, to pick out a few good people and imitate their faith. There's no one, I think, better to imitate than Noah. I discovered that Noah and the flood uh, is the most popular Bible story for children over the last 180 years uh, in Bible story books that have been printed. Kids say, listen, give me Noah. Well, now if kids say that, I think adults ought to follow suit. I find in Noah uh, somebody that we can imitate. He was a good provider. He was an excellent protector. And he was a terrific priest for his family. Provider, protector, and priest. And by priest, I mean he was responsible for the spiritual health of his family. Uh, he said, in effect, even though we don't have it recorded, as for me and my house, you can count us in. We're serving the Lord. So this story begins with a calamity, a catastrophe only dwarfed by the catastrophe that is yet in the future, one of these days, and described in 2 Peter 3.10. The Bible says that one of these days, this earth is going to be evaporated. It's going to be burned up. A worse catastrophe than Noah's, than Noah's flood. Recently, I talked to you on Mother's Day about Hannah. Remember, Hannah followed the Lord and her country, Israel, was uh, in crisis. Well, this story this morning is much worse than that. It's more than just a country being in crisis. It's the whole world being in crisis. Something different, something more evil, more sinister on a mega scale. Now, we know that whenever God looked down on this situation, uh, in his description of himself, he is uh, slow to anger. He is reluctant to pull the trigger on his judgment. And I say that because in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, he says this of himself. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. He said, that's who I am. I'm a gracious God. I'm a long-suffering God. I abound in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. That's God's first impulse. God's not looking for people... He can judge, necessarily. He's looking for people, first and foremost, to save. But he goes on in this passage, and he says this, but I will by no means clear the guilty. That means judgment is inevitable, but it takes time to get there. And before we get to the day of judgment... I want to pour out my forgiveness and blessing on you. And that was the very same thing that we have here in Genesis chapter 6. God confronted this impending judgment with compassion and reluctance. And he did this uh, for in, in several different ways. Through Enoch and Noah. They were preachers of the time. We know what kind of preachers they were. Uh, Enoch, before the flood, prophesied of the second coming of Christ, and we have a snippet of his preaching in Jude 14. And when you read a snippet of Jude's preaching, he was a pretty bombastic preacher. He warned people that judgment was coming and God was going to judge the ungodly. 
2 Peter 2.5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so here we find Enoch and uh, Noah, and they're preaching their brains out to this world that's not listening to them. And they're saying God's spirit shall not always strive with man. Judgment is right around the corner. It's coming up fast. But they did have 120 years to repent. Uh, the evil was deep. The cause of this calamity was their thinking, their contemplation. Every imagination of their thoughts were evil continually, every purpose. They were wicked from the inside out. You know, you've heard the old saying, garbage in and what? Garbage out? That's what these people were. Uh, they were filling their mind with evil things. And you know, when you fill your mind with evil things, it comes out eventually. And so uh, these people were, they were locked in on that which is evil and it played out in their conduct. Their conduct was bad. And verse 11 says that the earth was filled with violence. A very dangerous place to live. And I know that your, your brain right now is way ahead of me and you're thinking, hey, that sounds like what? Sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Violence everywhere. Well, God looked down on this condition of violence and he saw that their creed was bad. Their conduct was bad. Their creed was bad. And that means that, means that they were teaching that right was wrong and wrong was right. And that's exactly what a person in a nearby university told me that they're teaching in a particular university not, not far from here that right is wrong and wrong is right. And impressionable kids are listening to those things and have it all mixed up because their conscience has never been uh, developed. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. Just think about it. No one his family were the only right-thinking people at this particular time. And so the Lord looks at this mess called planet Earth and says, I'm sorry that I made man. How disappointing is that? God's great achievement, man and woman, made in his own image, uh, he is sorry that he made them. Have you ever done something so good and it turned out so bad? I know sometimes we do that. You know, we, we try and try to do something good and it just explodes, it backfires uh, on us and we say, oh my. Well, I think God's hopes were really high. I have to believe that. He did this all for a good purpose. His hopes were so high, but reality was low. And, and the scripture says, if I may be so bold to say that God was crushed by what happened to his creation. I'm sorry I made man. Well, Luke 17, 26, Jesus said this, and I know that you know that I'm getting here. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Do you see a parallel between our world today and Noah's world? It's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? An explosion of population, sexual perversion. Uh, yesterday I was at a uh, 
Bridgeville days over there. They shut the town down. They bring all the classic cars in there so you can look over them. And, and they're selling all sorts of things. And I'm walking through all these uh, little tents uh, that they have in Bridgeville. And uh, one of them was by Planned Parenthood. And they had Planned Parenthood had a big sign. And on that sign it said, Sexperts. Experts. Sexperts. And as I walked by, I heard uh, what they were talking about, and I can't talk to you about what they were talking about. Uh, sexual perversion is everywhere in our world today. Well, in the days of Noah, in, in the first part of this uh, passage, the Bible says that the sons of God were marrying the daughters of men. Now, Bible scholars believe that um, these sons of God were were evil angels, fallen angels, indwelling men, procreating, fostering children. And these children grew up at that time to be giants. And I have to think that that certainly probably was the straw that broke the camel's back on God's patience. Fallen angels, polluting the human bloodstream, importing demonic DNA into the human bloodstream to no doubt thwart the whole idea of a coming Messiah. Well, God said, my spirit will not always strive with man, and so he called these men, Enoch and Elijah, to go preach and warn the people. Uh, now, Noah was a diamond. He was righteous. Both of these men actually walked with God. Now, you know the story of Enoch, right? The Bible doesn't say a lot about him. It gives us a little snippet of his preaching. But the Bible does say this, Enoch walked with God and was not because God, do you remember what the scripture says? God took him. Enoch was out walking with God one day and it's a good thing to walk with God. And God says, you know, I think I like you, Enoch. I think you've had enough of this world. Why don't you just come and be with me? And so Enoch kind of just walked right up into heaven with the Lord. And his wife called 911 and said, listen, my husband is lost. I know he's old. He's not thinking well. He has a little dementia. Uh, see if you can find him. They never did find him. Enoch walked with God. God took him up into heaven. Uh, but Noah was a, Enoch is a picture of those who are going to be raptured, the rapture of the church, before the judgment of God. Noah is a picture of those who go through the tribulation in judgment time, but God protects them as well. Now, how are we to respond to this whole story? First of all, Noah believed God's word. When God talked to him about making this ark, he believed him. Look over with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says this, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah was warned by God, and he moved on that action. And he prepared the ark to save his family. Noah believed God's word. Now, here we go, men. Uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, if God says it, that's what he means. And so I want to encourage you to be a Noah. Believe God's word. 
Because you know in life you have to decide who you're going to believe. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Jesus is the truth. Uh, and he also said that Satan is the father of lies in John 8, 44. And so take your choice, who you're going to believe. I can see Noah as he's talked with God and God warned him of things that he's never seen. That's rain. Noah's scratching his head. What's that? God says, it's these little things that come down out of the sky. I can see Noah as he went home and talked to his wife. He said, honey, sit down. I have something to tell you. And he says, first of all, you're not going to believe this. And after Noah probably told the story to his wife, she said, you know, Mr. Noah, I don't believe that. That's an unbelievable story. Well, he did get his family on board, uh, helping him, I'm sure, build the ark. Noah obeyed God's word. He moved with godly fear. You know, it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to obey something. And I want to encourage you, just don't be a believer. Be, a, be an obe obeyer. Obey God's word. He was warned of things not seen. Rain. And he obeyed by faith. Actually, verse number 22 says this, Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Just think of that. Noah was a father. And God says, listen, you've got to do this. And you know what Noah said? Yes, sir. I'll do everything you tell me to do. Noah dared to be different. To say that Noah and his family looked pretty odd is an understatement. He'd no doubt be the feature on the show Preppers today. The ultimate survivalist. You know, it always amazes me. Have you seen that program? The sheer variety of people, ideas that people are prepping for today. Nuclear disaster, financial collapse, that could happen, of course, at any time. Government oppression, that's happening now. Terrorist attack on the grid, shutting down the grid. Can you imagine what life would be if we didn't have that? Have you read about Roscoe Bartlett? Roster, Roscoe Bartlett was on Capitol Hill. He was a congressman from Western Maryland for 20 years. And he kept warning the people up there. They call him the most odd, sounds like Noah, the most odd congressman. He kept warning the people. He said a Russian told him one day that they were going to explode a nuclear device over America and fry the grid. So he went down here in West Virginia and bought 150 acres. No cell phone service. He's living, look him up on the internet. He's living off the grid. He's preparing for doomsday. He's almost 90 years old. People today are building underground bunkers, stores of food everywhere. Have you ever seen here in the north when we get a big snowstorm, I know you have, and how people go out and, and empty the store? And you go in there and it's like the, the shelves are gone. Just think if we had a real disaster. Well, people today have arsenals of weapons and I think that's, that's okay. Uh, booby traps all over their property, be careful of that one. Noah was prepping for the judgment of God. Uh, he was doing it for the right purpose. God says judgment is coming, and Noah started to get ready. He walked with God. Both Enoch and Noah also, they both walked with God. And God's care in this calamity was the ark. 
the ark of safety for Noah's family. The ark is a picture of salvation. The water was God's judgment. The ark was God's safety. Today we, we have an ark too, and that's Jesus Christ. He's our ark. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he takes us in to the ark. John 10, 28, look at this. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's the ark today, the hand of God. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. When you have the Lord, God's ark today, you are safe. You know, there are some similarities between the ark in the Old Testament and the ark, which is Christ. Both of those arcs arrived just before the worldwide destruction. And I can't help but think that you feel that destruction is right around the corner. Both arcs were surrounded by scoffers. I, I think maybe Ham, Shem, and Japheth probably got together and, think, hey, and said, you know, I think, do you think Dad's okay in the head? What's wrong with him? But you know they had enough respect to him. Fathers, follow me. They, have enough, they had enough respect for him to know that he walked with God, and that made the difference. Listen, they followed him. They followed Noah. Just put yourself in that position. Uh, both of the arks had scoffers. When Jesus hung on the cross, remember, they said, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And today, people are scoffing. If the church rises up and says, hey, listen, judgment is coming, what does the world say? 2 Peter 3.3. 3. Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. Both arks were the only way to be saved. You know, back in that day, there was only one boat leaving the dock. Just one. Christ is our ark today. And both of these arks had to be entered by personal choice. God didn't push anybody on the ark. They wanted to get on. And then the invitation came. Chapter 7, verse 1, The Lord God said to Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark. God was in the ark. And he said, listen, come now and get in the ark. You know, when Jesus is in the boat, the boat becomes unsinkable. It really does. Remember, Jesus was going across the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the boat was in good condition when he was there. Well, and when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you become unsinkable as far as your destination is concerned. When you get on board with Christ, you're on board. He's going to get you there. When you invite Christ into your home, your home becomes unsinkable, sink-proof. You know, it takes two people to make a home. Husband and wife, both interested and both working hard. And I know that sometimes that doesn't always happen. Sometimes people have to begin their life again. But I'll tell you what, if two people are working hard at their marriage and two people are in tune with God, uh, that boat is unsinkable. You might face some seasickness in your life, and I know you will, and feel overwhelmed by the flood. But I'll tell you what, if you're in Christ, you're going to make your destination. He's taking you through. 
You know, when Noah built something that was designed by God, it worked. And I find that in this ark there was only one door, and you remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is that door. Judgment is coming. Uh, I think all of us in this room this morning would, would agree that the hedge of protection is being removed from America. Think so? The hedge of protection that we once had is being removed from America. With every law that is passed in our country that is against biblical principles, our country sinks deeper and deeper into the quagmire and the muck of evilness and the hedge of God's protection goes further and further out. Uh, maybe Noah, there, there was, I found here in chapter 7 that there was the seven days. After they got on the ark, God gave them seven more days and I, I don't know if Noah was hanging out the window saying, come on. Seven days. Come on. Time's running out. Uh, I think there are probably a lot of admirers of the ark. People went. It was probably a show place. But, you know, admiring the ark didn't save anybody. And I think that there are in this world lots of admirers of Christ. That won't save anybody. You have to be in Christ. You have to accept him as your personal savior. You have to invite him into your life. Uh, after those seven days, uh, God probably said to Noah, Noah, move back. I'm closing the door. And you know, when God closes the door, his passengers are safe and those on the outside are lost. But I can't help but think the joy. You know, Noah was a pretty unsuccessful preacher. When you think about all the population, look it up on the internet. It's, it's unbelievable how many people lived back during that time. And he's preaching his brains out for 120 years, and he's rather unsuccessful, to say the least. And so here he is, and it's, it's getting on the ark time, and he's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They're all in. My family is all in. Nobody else. No one else. I want to encourage you men to be the provider for your family. Work hard. Never be afraid to work hard. Be the provider for your family. Be the protector for your family. Kids, don't talk to strangers. Never let your kids out of your sight. Be the protector of your family and be the priest of your family. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is a God house here. That's the way it's going to be. And so one of these days, I hope that you're able to say one, two, three. Some of you have a lot of counting to do. 15, 16, 17. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, 
Our circle of influence is our pastorate. Now the good news is the door is still open today. And the Revelation 22 verse 17 says this, the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears say come. Let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Today the door is open. Come to Christ, the ark of safety, and be safe. Get on board before judgment comes. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I want to appeal to the men in our church, especially today, uh, yes, let's emulate uh, Noah, okay? He provided for his family, and I know that you men are working hard, and I commend you for that. That's the job of a man. That's what a man's supposed to do. Get up early, go to work, and work hard. That's what we do our whole life. That's our job. That's our calling. Uh, you're the protector. You're watching out for your kids. Don't go into that section of town at night. Don't talk to that person. That's good. We have to do all that. Uh, we're in charge of protecting our family. And then the priest. Uh, that's, that's most vital. To be in charge of a person's uh, leadership, spiritual direction. Because that's what really counts in the long run to say, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to believe what God says, and I tell you what, I think we're going to be a little odd, and people are going to look at us like, hey, I don't think they're really in the groove with the world, and we're going to say, no, I'm not in the groove, but I am uh, trying to obey the Lord. Men, I want to encourage you in those areas today. Dear Lord, we thank you for the story of Noah. We've just scratched the surface, but... We thank you for uh, the lessons that we have extracted this morning. I pray that you will plant them deep in our heart and that you will, Lord, help us to, to learn from them today, especially in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.